0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 95 of In The Zone. I'm Giancarlo Lino hosting today with Chris Martelli. And uh, missing Anthony Piniello, he's still out of action for a little bit. We're hoping to get him back for next week. But uh, Chris, gotta kick this off with uh, some interesting trade bait that we saw this morning. TSN released this list and it includes number one, Matt Murray, number two, JVR. But uh, somewhere in this top five, we see Patrick Laine. Do you see Winnipeg making a big move like this with Patrick Laine?
1: If they do, it's because of the meeting that they will have in about a month or so. Uh, we talked about this last year a bit. Remember when we were looking at all the RFAs, talking about Marner, Kachuk, Connor, all these guys are all RFAs. Line was also in that. And they gave him a bridge deal because, quite frankly, when we were talking about Line and the, the contract discussions came up, he just didn't seem interested in a bridge deal whatsoever. I think he looked at what Austin Matthews got and he really thought that he was on his level. So he wanted to get around 11 million. And kudos to Kevin Cheveldeoff for putting his foot down and saying, you know what? You're not an elite centerman in this league. You're an elite winger who can get 50 goals. That's your ceiling. And when you look at that, 11 million dollars is not really in the cards. And then, yes, of course, you can talk about Artemi Panarin and what he got last year. But I'm sorry, Patrick Lyon, unless he really does some growing up, I don't see him as a heart trophy candidate like Panarin was this year. But it's like you said, Alino, it's very interesting to see a young stud like Patrick Lyon on the trade bait board. I don't really know what this means for them. I don't know if this means they're just going to flat out give up on contract talks because they know it's not going to work out. But if this means that, you know, it, it, it allows them to get maybe a better defenseman or maybe a lot, maybe a couple more first round picks because we all know Blake Wheeler. I think he's 33 now. He doesn't have, I'll say he maybe has another two elite strong years. And maybe after that, you could start uh, passing the torch to a guy like a Shifley. He could lead the way as captain, but I don't know. Alino, you know, I think if line gets traded, we're going to see a big haul come back in Winnipeg. And I think it has to, like, we talk about with the Leafs so many times. Their biggest need is defense. And I look at Winnipeg, and we talked about Truba got traded. Bufflin left. Um, a couple other guys left the team. Like, their, their blue line was shot this year, and Connor Hellebuck was a Vesna Trophy candidate. I actually think he's going to win the Vesna Trophy this year. So I think if you get the same play from Connor Hellebuck next year, and you can maybe get an extra defenseman, if you trade Patrick Laine, then I think, again, we'll be we'll be saying that Winnipeg is a contender in in the near future. I mean, we've been saying it for like three years now and they haven't been able to get the job done. But I think if you can trade a guy like Lionet, get some key assets back, maybe a top four defense, and maybe you could even get a Petrangelo because we're talking about Nylander um, for Petrangelo or for the rights of Petrangelo. Isn't Lionet's trade value higher than Nylander's? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. So I think with that, maybe – they're in the running to maybe get Petrangelo if Linea board, but it's very interesting to to monitor.
0: Yeah, Linea goes like that's I know what he did there with the two years because after the first year you can negotiate the bigger extension, go into that year with a little bit more uncertainty, and then after put more pressure on Winnipeg. But the way they played in the playoffs, I think they might be willing to maybe trade Lion-A if they can get some more help on their team, maybe get a better defensive core and. Their goaltending's amazing with Hellebuck. I think uh, they did well with him in there's development. They didn't rush him in when they had Pavlik. They kind of eased him into the role. But uh, another name that kind of jumps out at this list is Arizona's Oliver ekman Larson, Darcy Kemper. Uh, these are some big contracts, especially ekman Larson. That's a huge contract for a team to take on. Uh, do you even see him moving on, or do you see Kemper being the likely one to go?
1: Uh, believe it or not, I can see Ekman Larson going. And here's the reason why I feel like they're all in on Chikrin. I think this is going to be the guy for the future. I think Ekman Larson, yeah, he's, I think he's still relatively young. I think he's 29 or 30 now. But I think when we look at teams and, you know, what to expect from, you know, teams that are kind of in and out of the playoffs, like the Arizona Coyotes, you gotta remember, Alino. Like, look at look how young their team is. I mean, you have Clayton Keller, a very young player, a very skilled player. They're definitely not gonna sign Phil Kessel. They're definitely not gonna sign Taylor Hall. Um, I I don't know if this means trading Ekman Larson just to get back assets, kind of like Winnipeg. Uh, but I I if they do trade Ekman Larson, I guarantee you it's for the emergence and for the the evolving. Uh, skill and inevitability of him being the number one defenseman in Jacob Chikrin because when he got drafted, I thought he was a top five pick. I think he can be absolutely tremendous. He's probably going to take him a little bit more time. Like Look at what we're seeing right now, Alino, from Shea Theodore on uh, Vegas. I mean, he got traded from Anaheim, and now he's looking like a Norris Trophy candidate. So I think if you can trade an Ekman Larson just to have a Chikrin evolve into a Norris Trophy type D – I think if I'm if I'm the GM of Arizona, I'm open to doing that. But in terms of Darcy Kemper, I don't really know, man. Like I know there's a lot of free agent goaltenders out there, Corey Crawford, Markstrom. We talked a little bit about that last week. But I think Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, they're two great goaltenders, and they bring a pretty relative cheap cap hit. And I, I don't see Darcy Kemper leaving. And if he does leave, maybe if I'm Edmonton, maybe I can snag him. But for now, I have OEL, believe it or not, being the more likely to get dealt between the two. Yeah, and
0: like looking at their team, like if they really want to go in that direction, I think Taylor Hall might be a free agent. Like I don't think you want to sign him. But if I'm a team knowing that there's a cap freeze, I think Phil Kessel is going to be a lot more valuable for some teams because you know he has one or two years left on his deal. And if you can get Arizona to retain some salary, I think the return will be much greater than just signing Taylor Hall as a free agent because in the playoffs, we saw Kessel play. He was uh, on the power play anchoring that team, and uh, his success in the playoffs might help a lot. Like, I'm looking at Edmonton. That could be a good team for him. Uh, Toronto's not likely because they already have a 1.2 until his contract's over. But uh, teams that are just on that cusp, they need that one extra forward. I would go after Phil Kessel in Arizona. Maybe tell them if you retain half his salary, we'll give you a first rounder, maybe a third and a top prospect. But uh, could Phil Kessel, do you think, uh, impact another team right now? Or is it just something that you'd rather wait for the deadline?
1: Huh. It's crazy to talk about Phil like that. But I think he can impact any team. I think he's still got some juice left in the tank. I think he's 31-32. Yes, he had a down year this year, but I think the expectations were way too high for him. I mean, I've personally had him in fantasy the last couple of years, and he's been my top, a top three player on my team the last two years. So I think if you're going to have those expectations for Phil, you're out of your mind now. I mean, he's now on the west side of 30 years old. He's on the other side. He's He's, he's looking like an experienced veteran, and he's in a role where I think he's perfect. I think he knows that maybe 60 points – Is perfect right now. He's not a ninety-point guy anymore. He's not on a power play with one of the best players of all time in Sidney Crosby. So we got to get that out of our heads that he's going to get ninety points because I don't think he is anymore. But like, look at so. There's so many teams out there that would love a Phil Kessel right now. And me personally, I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. I have been for quite some time. Phil Kessel going to New Jersey would be absolutely amazing for a guy like a like a Jack Hughes or like a Nico Heaster, a guy that, that centerman, they definitely need that winger that they haven't had yet. Even a guy, maybe like a Sean Monahan. maybe you can add a little bit more depth in Calgary. I know Matt Kachuk is generating that first line left wing spot and you have Goudreau on the right wing, but imagine having Phil Kessel on that second line with like a back, and That would be absolutely incredible for Calgary. Um, another team, let's go to Columbus because again, They don't really have that scoring flair as much as they used to. I mean, they had Duchesne, they had Panarin, they had to get rid of them. So now I could see Phil Kessel even maybe being with a Pierre-Luc Dubois. You could boost that confidence. He can feed it to Dubois or vice versa. And even you have a Cam Atkinson who can score 40 goals. So maybe Phil Kessel can get a little bit more assists if he were to go to Columbus. A lot of people, the expectations I think are too high for Phil. I think he's still a relatively outstanding player still in this league. And I think a lot of teams would still be very happy to get Phil Kessel.
0: And uh, speaking of teams that might be happy with uh, a guy still on their good contract, uh, one year left on it though, but the Leafs with Frederick Anderson, it's uh, getting some interesting buzz surrounding his name. His contract is uh, getting the interest of the Carolina Hurricanes who – uh, They already have Jake Gardner. They have Brady Shea on the back. They have all these guys that they've really accumulated from trades uh, helping their roster right now. So if you're Carolina, do you go after Frederick Anderson or is he not really the fit with uh, Mrazek and Reimer playing so well for them?
1: Oh, absolutely. You have to go. If if I'm Carolina, I'm not even thinking twice about that. Mrazek and Reimer, I guess they were great together down the stretch for Carolina, but Carolina to me – I've been saying this since I'll say February. They've had one of the most deadly offenses. And it's pretty funny to say that because I think three years ago they were bottom five in goals four. So now you have an elite guy in Svechnikov that goes after Dalin in the 2018 draft. And his rookie year he dropped 40, and then the year after that, he dropped 70. So I expect Svechnikov to take an even bigger leap next year. I think Aho is an absolute outstanding player. But in terms of their goaltending, I think that's the only flaw on their whole team. So if I'm Rod Brindamore, I am without a doubt going after Frederick Anderson. And if they get Frederick Anderson, watch out East because the Carolina Hurricanes will be coming strong and they would be a contender. But it's funny that you say Carolina because I'm looking at this trade bait board and who else is on it? Dougie Hamilton and Ryan Dezingle. So if this all makes sense and adds up correctly, at least how I envision it in my head, we could maybe be seeing a Frederick Anderson and our first, and maybe a Jeremy Bracco going to Carolina for maybe a Dougie Hamilton and a Ryan Dezingle. Full circle.
0: Dougie Hamilton back after that big trade for Boston. Do you think they need, though, like I know Dougie Hamilton, I would not mind having him, but uh, being a puck-moving defenseman, should they really, I guess, set their sights on more of the defensive guy or is that just too good to pass up if you're Toronto?
1: That's a a tough question. Um, Again, like we need the defensive defenseman a little more, but I think Dougie Hamilton can adjust his game to being that more defensive defenseman. I think he's now 28-29. I think if he were to go to Toronto and see the skill of a guy like Erasmus Sandin and Morgan Riley carrying the puck, I think Dougie Hamilton wouldn't mind playing second or third fiddle. I mean, he just came off a Norris Trophy almost season, and then he got injured. So his trade value has probably never been higher right now. So, But same with Freddie Anderson. I think his trade value was – he just had a 926 save in, in the series against Columbus. So – I think Freddie Anderson, the last four years, it speaks for his uh, uh he speaks for himself. Uh his his value's high. But I, I do agree with you. I think we do need a little more maybe defensive guy, but it might be too good to pass up, man. Dougie Hamilton just had an absolutely fantastic year. And maybe having Dougie Hamilton with Morgan Riley, that man, that sounds that sounds really good.
0: Another trade that I was looking at, uh somebody editor and Leaf over here is uh, proposing a trade of William Nylander, Alex Kerfoot, and the rights to Travis Dermott to Florida for, I can't believe that I'm saying this, Aaron Ekblad. And I can't even see the things I've been loading here. But whoever is
1: a $5.5 million cap hit over there on the back end. Oh, was it a strawman? Yeah, it is strawman. Uh, I mean, you're getting, uh, you're getting your defensive defenseman. like that. We're getting our guy, Aaron Blad's from here. I think that would be... I'm doing that. I mean, I know Ekblad hasn't had the strong numbers. Uh, I mean, his expectations coming in, of course, you know, you get exceptional status and you're the best defenseman and you go first overall. But, I mean, that, his role is not to get 70 points. His role is to get 40 and shut down the team's best players. And he's relatively done that. And when a team like Florida has Keith Yandel and he's just flowing and gelling on the power play, do you really expect Eckblad to get 50 points? Because I definitely have not expected that for the last two, three years. So you trade Dermot, you trade Nylander, and you trade Kerfoot. That's that's quite a bit of cap right there. That's potentially like 15 million dollars, maybe more in cap. And then you're probably getting 15 mil back, maybe a little under, just for a player less. I'm doing that because that's the that's the fit, that's the need that we need. We need Aaron Eckblad. I mean. I can't believe we're talking about Aaron Eckblad and Dougie Hamilton potentially being leads, but if that's the case, sign me up. I'd I'd love to have either or. And again, we've been saying this for weeks. It's inevitable that William Nylander, I think, is getting traded. So if this would were to be a trade, absolutely pull the trigger on it. I want me some Aaron Eckblad. So if they get Aaron Eckblad, let's say –
0: they maybe they they can find some wiggle room with some of the other salaries, and they go after Alex Petrangelo. Is that too much money? Then in the back end, is that going to be the reverse of what we had this year with the offense?
1: Wow! If we if we get Petrangelo and I'm glad, I mean, try and trade Tavares at that point because we'll be in cap hell for sure. But, um, like if I, if <laughs> that sounds way too good to be true, that's like a NHL twenty GM mode. <laughs> Type thing where you have Ekblad, Riley, Petrangelo, Muzzin on the as your sixth defenseman. That's ridiculous. Um, if that were to happen, Alino, then that means Sandy and Lilgren are gone. <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't they wouldn't really develop, and uh, they would be definitely probably upset with the situation that they got themselves in. But I don't. If we get Ekblad, I don't see us getting Petrangelo. But I think that's even better off because he's younger. So yeah, yeah it's a win win.
0: I don't know. It'd be interesting. Like, I don't know. I hate this. Is the only thing it's like with the Knicks, like you're rumored to get every single free agent. And then after no, none of them show up, none of them sign. So hopefully the Leafs are you're not getting everyone's hopes up. At least you can get one of them. That'd be nice. Uh, just get some help there. But uh, another name that's actually was interesting. Max Domi from Montreal. He had a nice little resurgence there when he got traded. So I, he changed management. So that looks like he could be traded, work out a deals, but I don't know the fit right there. A lot of people are seeing the Leafs, but I don't know. Do they have something that Montreal would want? Like, I don't know what kind of trade you can do for Max Domi right now.
1: Yeah, Max Domi is a tough name to uh, to grasp right now. I think uh, I still don't really know what his offensive upside is. A lot of people are saying it's 70 points. I don't think it's that high. I'll say 55 to 65. Yeah. Uh, He's a guy that can get, he can bring you grit. You know, he's kind of like a, he's a poor man's Matt Kachuk. Uh, He's relatively the same player, just offensively a a tier under Kachuk. But I don't know. Like, I want to say maybe a team like Detroit, that's just kind of going all in and and getting the feels of almost any player in free agency. Uh, They're a team that, again, their expectations and their organization are not so high, at least, I believe so. Dylan Larkin, Anthony Manta, they have great young players there. But I think right now they know that they're not a playoff team. And maybe they can maybe try and trade a young defenseman. I know they have Chalowski. He's looking to be pretty solid. Heronik is another guy that could maybe be dealt for a Max Domi. They have a lot of first-round picks. And the first-round picks will probably be relatively high. And we all know how Bergevin is. He always tries to move up in the draft somehow. So maybe this might sound crazy but maybe Max Domi to uh to Detroit isn't maybe out of the question. I I'd, I'd like to maybe see Max Domi play with a Dylan Larkin. I think that they those two guys complement each other perfectly. You have the skilled center in Larkin and you have the gritty winger in Max Domi. So I think that would be a perfect fit for Domi. I know that you know maybe him juggling teams this young in his this early in his career can maybe affect confidence but I think it's Max Domi. I think he'll be fine at the end of the day. And if he doesn't get traded, I think that's good for him too because I think he's found his groove in Montreal. I think he had 65 points last year, and this year I think he had 60. So I think he's found his groove, and uh, maybe him and Drew Ant down the line can be something special with Nick Suzuki. So I think in terms of Domi, I think it's all up to Berge- Bergevin if he wants to be patient with his core or not.
0: And uh, the final name on this trade board list is... He hasn't had the best of years, but he seems to be attracting a lot of attention, is Matt Murray of Pittsburgh. So we know they have to make changes. They can't come back with that same roster. Uh, they saw what happened this year. They get all these trades at the deadline, even before, and they get bounced by Montreal. So if it's not one of those uh, three pillars that they had in LaTang, Crosby, Malkin leaving, uh, you have to trade a guy like Matt Murray. Just what is the return for a guy like that? I know he has the two cups early on in his career, but. He hasn't had the best of years, these back-to-back seasons
1: of uh, 890 save percentage. I really don't know with Matt Murray. I mean, I remember when he came out of nowhere and he took Flurry's spot. I was kind of surprised. I was like, okay, well, Flurry, you know, he's 31 at the time and, and Matt Murray was 23 and everyone's – you know, Oh, Matt Murray, this guy's going to be the future of the team. And then, you know, he won the cup for them. And then Fleury got, you know, we we all know what happened. He went to Vegas and then they almost won the cup and we're seeing the same trend. Tristan Jari down the line has outplayed Matt Murray, plain and simple. We can clearly see it just like last year with Jordan Biddington and Jake Allen. Same thing. Jake Allen was the starter for the blues for, I'd say what two or three years after Elliott got dealt, they went for they went with Jake Allen, and then a younger guy came in, and and Jordan Bennington took his spot. And I think that's the same thing here. I think Tristan Jari came in, and he knew that he had an opportunity to relatively maybe grab the number one starting job in Pittsburgh, and he did it, and he did a fantastic job this season. And Matt Murray, the last two years, I know he's had a very tough personal life the last couple of years, but he, he has to bounce back in some way. And I think if Pittsburgh and Jim Rutherford are looking to trade Matt Murray, I really don't know what team would look at him because of the stats that he's had the last two years. And it's, yes, he's a two time Stanley Cup champion, but the numbers are just, they're not good at all. I mean, he had a, I think, a 904 last year and then a, I think an 897 this year. So, if I'm, if I'm, maybe Edmonton, maybe you can trade for Matt Murray, but I really don't know what what the trade would look like. Like, are you trading a young defenseman? Are you trading a winger? Are you trading like a like a Yamamoto? Like, I don't even know who you have to trade. Do you have to trade a young up and coming forward? Do you have to trade a roster defenseman? Like, I really don't know what Jim Rutherford would Rutherford would want for Matt Murray. So, I I, I do I, he's Probably going to get – the likelihood of him getting traded is high because he's number one on the board. But I don't know what the return is going to be, and it's going to be interesting to see who goes and grabs him in the long run.
0: Should you package him if you're Jim Rutherford with a Letang and say, okay, I'm giving you two of these top guys that we have on our roster. I'm going to put Latang in there who still has some years left in them. But do you think that might sweeten the deal and get a better return
1: than just trading Matt Murray up front? You see, when you when you talk about like a haul like that, like Latang and Murray, those are two potentially like their trade values are probably ridiculously high still. Both of them, I think Latang is still relatively a top thirty defenseman in the league. And again, like Alino, you know, like we talk about teams like getting players. I don't know who would get who would get Latang and Murray at the same time. I have no idea which team would go out and say, "Hey, I want Latang and Murray." and I'll give you a haul of players, I, I, I don't know. Would it be Edmonton? Would it be Minnesota? Would it be L.A.? Like, I I have no idea, man. Like, the, the thing with Matt Murray and Chris Letang and Pittsburgh in general, is there a team that we talk about Malcolm Crosby being on the same team for over a decade, almost two decades now, and they've been contenders every single year, and I still think that's the case. Even if you trade Letang and Murray, You have Crosby, Malkin, and Gunsel. That is a great core. And yes, two of them are over 30 years old. Gunsel's 25. But those three players are just, they're superb offensively. So, again, I have no idea what the asking price is. I have no idea, man. Probably Edmonton. Like Nuge probably 100% would have to go
0: the other way. I think they need a guy like that. Uh, Could help balance the lines. If you're just trading Latang, like, Uh, I know Mike Green recently retired, so that's a huge hole for Edmonton. They thought they had something with him. Athenasiou could be another guy, but again, like, yeah, that's something for one. I don't know if any player can, or any team actually with this cap freeze, if they can get both of them, uh, unless you do a three-way trade, get creative, but uh, Pittsburgh for sure, there's going to be a lot of changes there, but uh, Chris, anything left uh, you want to talk about in hockey?
1: Uh, Just, I want to quickly ask uh i think now i'm thinking about it with that package with murray and Latang. i could actually see edmonton going full full throttle with that because now that i'm thinking about it you have ethan bear on defense you have yeah evan bouchard who they drafted uh not last year in 2018 and he's looking he he captained london this year and he was probably the best captain in the o so Maybe maybe Jim Rutherford's looking at Evan Bouchard for the future, and then you can maybe trade Nugent Hopkins. So you have Nugent, Evan Bouchard for maybe Murray and Latang. But again, the cap would be something that would hurt them. I think at the end of the day, they would also have to maybe try and trade Koskinen's contract or maybe Adam Larson. And if you can maybe package Adam Larson before they do that deal, so like you trade Larson to, I don't know, like L.A., and you'd maybe trade Koskinen to Minnesota. And then that's when you could pull off the Murray and Latang for Bouchard and Nugent Hopkins. If I'm Jim Rutherford, I'm doing that. And if I'm Edmonton, I'm doing that. So, I mean, I just made a, I just made a trade for everyone out there. I think that would be a good trade. Murray and Latang for Nuge and Evan Bouchard. But that is knowing that Koskinen's cap hit and Larson's cap hit are off the books for Edmonton.
0: Yeah. That's true, because there. if you already have side or McDavid, like, these are the kind of years you can take chances like that. They're long-term. They're both in their early to mid-20s. Uh, when you're in Pittsburgh situation, it's one that's a little bit more risky with those guys because Crosby and Malkin are both in their mid-30s. So I'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, on to the court, because we first saw a Game 7 of the first round end, finally, uh, Houston – is going to be playing against OKC later on. But the game that we saw, Denver and Utah, man, Canadian kid, Jamal Murray lighting it up in the earlier games. We saw Donovan Mitchell play his heart out. Uh, What are your thoughts on that game seven and uh, just
1: those two guys? What a series it was. This was the best series in the first round by far. Um, You talk about competitiveness. It doesn't get any more competitive than Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell. Those two guys brought the best out of each other. They both averaged well over 30 points per game in this series. Both of them dropped 50 points twice. They now only join Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan to do that in a series. And that's ridiculous. How do you go from two guys doing it to four? And, um, yeah, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, I'll say this right now, they're the future of the West. Um, we, We talk about guys like Doncic. We talk about guys like Zion who are going to be the future of... They're going to be the best players. But when I'm talking about just the future of the league, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell are going to be those underrated all-star type players that no one really discusses. And I'm so happy that ESPN, guys like Kellerman and and Stephen A., they've been consistently talking about this series because every time I've watched these games... They were. They, I was just in awe like Jamal Murray would go down the court he would drop 50 points no turnovers who does that and then Jamal and then Donovan Mitchell the next game would drop 50 points and then the next game after that Murray would drop 40 so they're just going back and forth they're trying to one-up each other and that's what competition is all about it's about getting the better of your your opponent and they both show that and then at the end of the day you know it sucked for Utah. They were up three-one. They blow the lead and they lose the series. There, I think they're only the twelfth team ever to do that. But the first time since the first time to do it since the Golden State Warriors in 2016 in the finals. But I mean, like Donovan Mitchell should not be upset at himself. He played his ass off. Um, he knows that this team has a relatively bright future. I mean, I I mean me as an NBA fan, I I relatively believe that unless they're gonna split the duo up but I think now we all know that that whole COVID dilemma is I think they're well past that now I think Gobert and Mitchell's chemistry is great and I think they're going to come back better than ever next year and I think that loss is going to motivate them even more and I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be very scary next year but in terms of um, the Denver Nuggets I got to give them a lot of credit you know when you're down three games to one it's always tough the odds are really against you and they really came together as a team, and they really pulled it off. And yes, it was pretty funny because the final score in yesterday's game was 80-78, to and there was one game there where Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray combined for 97 points. So it was pretty funny to see that yesterday's game was so low scoring, but I'm very happy for the way that Denver and Utah competed against each other. And at the end of the day, the more consistent and better team won this series in Denver. So – Kudos to both teams. It was a fun series. Yeah, and uh, Utah with Mike
0: Conley. So, uh, like, he was playing a little bit better. I like to see that he finally uh, was starting to get back in the mix of things. Like, he had a struggling a season where he struggled a little bit. So that was good to see him in the playoffs. Like, at least get some of his value shown to the Utah fan base. But uh, going forward, now we got Denver taking on the Clippers. And, uh, I don't know, like last week I was just talking about, or two weeks ago, I was talking about Denver maybe being a dark horse, even though they were top three, but, uh, under the radar in terms of, uh, how they can challenge in the West. But I I see Jokic as a problem for the Clippers. I don't think they have a real match for that. Uh, could Denver shock the Clippers here?
1: I mean, at this point in time, anything is possible. Uh, they came back from three, one, uh, Look at OKC, too. A lot of people ro- like just wrote them off completely when we saw them go up against Houston. It's like, okay, you have Harden and Westbrook, the dynamic backcourt. Chris Paul, he's absolutely incredible, but does he really have the help to beat the Houston Rockets? And here we are now a Game 7. It's going to be decided tonight. So I think, uh, Alino, in terms of the Clippers and the Nuggets, anything is possible. Look at the Mavericks. If Porzingis didn't get hurt, I don't really know if the Clippers would have won that series. And I'm confident in saying that because Porzingis was a matchup nightmare for them. And I think that is where your Jokic statement, it hits true. It hits home. I don't know if if anyone on the Clippers can match up with Jokic. I mean, his perimeter game is elite. His mid-range game is elite. His ball handling is elite. And the center on on the Clippers is Avika Zubak and Montrezl Harrell. And their perimeter defending is... Not the greatest, so they would definitely have to do a mismatch. They would definitely have to either put Marcus Morris on Jokic, or maybe if you want to try, you can maybe put Kawhi Leonard on him. Maybe you can try that out. Oh man! But Imagine. I, I would. I think that'd be pretty funny to see. But I agree. I think there's a mismatch there with Jokic, and if Jokic can go off like maybe Jamal Murray did in the first round, then I don't know about I don't know about the Clippers. But again, I think you know you talk about. Like, we're talking about, I'll, I'll, now I'm going to go to the Clippers side. Paul George has not really shown up yet. And if that guy starts showing up and starts dropping 30, 28, 40 points a game, then this might be a wash. So the Clippers are obviously the more dominant team when they're going. I haven't even mentioned Lou Will yet. So I still got the Clippers winning this. I'll say six games, kind of like how the Mav series went, where at times we're going to see a mismatch and we're going to see Denver maybe dominate. But I think in the long run, the better team is going to win in Kawhi. And Kawhi was dominant in the first round. And I think we're going to see Kawhi just keep doing what he's done the last year and a half. And that's just dominate the playoffs. And I'm really hoping that Paul George starts stepping up because he's always been questioned in doubt in the postseason. And right now, everyone's calling him PG-13% because he's not shooting well at all. So hopefully in this series, he can get his act together. And um, if that is going to happen... I got Clippers winning this in six. But if Jokic and Jamal Murray can continue to play how they've played against the Utah Jazz, and flip a coin on this one because this one's going to go seven. But for now, I'll stick with the Clippers in six games.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there with the six games. I'm still going to go Clippers, even though, like, Denver, they do have a matchup problem there with uh, Montrezl Harrell. Uh, I like Jamal Murray. I think he's really coming into his own it's a really good score there in Denver. You got Jokic there. It's just, uh, I think the depth is going to come into play maybe down the stretch when you get into like game three, game four. Uh, but yeah, I think you're going to be forced to putting Kawhi on Jokic because what we saw with Boban, that guy, he just swatted the ball out of his hand, just went in. You're going to be forced to do that. Cause I don't like Paul George's game. I'm like, he deserves all the criticism here. This is a guy, you traded Shy Gilgeous Alexander for him, all those first-round picks, all those uh, second-round picks. Like, you expect results if you're doing that, and I think George needs to really step up. He's going to be criticized even more if they get eliminated here. If they don't even make it to the, easy, the Western Conference final, that's like a, a benchmark for them. I think that's where they expect it to be, uh, and then the final. So if you can't get to a West final with Kawhi and Paul George, Paul George is going to be the one to blame. Maybe even uh, Kawhi is going to look at this team and like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to probably leave in a year. So they're in a difficult situation. But looking on to the other matchup in the West, we got the Lakers now waiting in on Houston and OKC. And if OKC pulls off the upset, what are you doing in Houston?
1: <laughs> I'm so happy you asked that question. Uh, I'm, I'm blowing it up. And I'll start with Mike D'Antoni. He's been on this team for, what, eight years now, uh, ever since James Harden has gone to Houston. We all know that they've made the playoffs every single year, and that's relatively because of the greatness of James Harden and what he's done for eight years. And I think his career in OKC, I think he averaged around – it was 16 points a game on relatively low minutes. And then he goes to Houston, and his career – Average in Houston, I think, is like 30 or 28 or some ridiculous number like that. So um, I'm definitely not trading James Harden. I don't think he's the problem. I don't think he ever was the problem. You could talk about him not being clutch and, you know, not getting the job done. But again, that was against outstanding Golden State Warriors teams. So you can't really blame James Harden there. I mean, you did trade Chris Paul. (laughs) So if Chris Paul ends up beating... Russell Westbrook on the like in this series then this is one of the biggest strikeouts of all time in terms of a trade you traded Russell Westbrook to upgrade at point guard and then the guy that you trade beats you in game seven I mean we saw in game six Chris Paul was the hungriest guy on the court he was the best guy on the court by far he dropped 28 points in the game three of six from three I think he was like eight of 12 from the field. He was, and then that clutch three over Covington. What a shot. That was absolutely insane. Um, And then like you talk about guys that are just amazing in the clutch and that's Chris Paul and he will come to play in game seven. I will call that right now. He will come and he will be probably the most focused guy on the floor. You talk about guys that want to win. Chris Paul is the definition of wanting a ring. He doesn't have a ring yet. He's 34 years old. This guy wants to win now. And, um, I'm really excited. I, I wasn't expecting a game seven here. I was expecting six games by Houston. And, you know, um, the heart of OKC, I've been saying all year, Billy Donovan, give this guy, like I know Nick Nurse won Coach of the Year, but no one gives Billy Donovan any credit because this team, I really thought that they weren't going to go anywhere. I thought they were maybe a 10th seed, maybe a 9th seed in the, in the West. And they finished fifth. And, and Gilgis Alexander's a star now. Gallinari is a great depth scorer. Chris Paul is the point guard. Uh, I think I had him the fourth best point guard this year. So, I mean, flip a coin. I think I think OKC could win this and if they do, man, Houston has a lot of stuff to look over. And again, like we've been saying this for 3 straight years because we've expected Houston to go far and they never have. So, on one side of the spectrum, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston lost. But on the other side, I would be because you traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, and then you lose to Chris Paul. So with that being said, Alino, Mike D'Antoni would probably get fired. Russell Westbrook would probably get dealt, and they would probably go after a monster free agent this year. So Houston would have a lot to to look over if they lose. But I still have Houston winning this game, and uh, I think that's just what Adam Silver wants. I think Houston versus – uh, the Lakers is a, is an attractive second round option. It's way more attractive than the Thunder versus the Lakers. So I, I got Houston winning, but if OKC wins, that's just another win for me too because I want to see Chris Paul face LeBron James. That would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm with you there.
0: And even uh, Westbrook versus LeBron, I kind of want to see him um, get that inner uh, Mamba mentality out there, that inner Michael Jordan competitive spirit because uh, we all know Westbrook – Kind of embodies that when he goes on the court, just uh, he needs to be fired up a little bit. I don't think he, uh, I think the games he missed kind of took something out of him. Maybe if they win tonight, they go on and face the Lakers, go fire him up, and that's kind of side of Westbrook I want to see. But speaking of games where they need some firing up, let's go to the Raptors because they're down, down 0 2, and they lost to Marcus Smart yesterday. Uh, what are your thoughts on this series right now, and is this uh, panic mode for the Raptors?
1: Uh, I won't say it's panic mode yet because we were down 2 nothing last year to the Bucks and we won four in a row, but we had Kawhi last year, and that was the difference. And that's what I'm starting to see now this year is if you don't have a guy like a Kawhi Leonard, the offense is, doesn't run as smoothly as you think. So our offense in the first two games, we haven't been getting the shots. We haven't been hitting them. Banfleet, uh, I love the guy, but I think he's been shooting a little too much. I think he's been forcing the shots. Siakam, on the other hand, he's got to be better. Uh, Charles Barkley and and Shaq have been saying the last couple of games that now he's the Batman of the team. Last year he was the Robin and now he's the Batman. He's the main guy on this team and he hasn't really been producing as well as we have thought. I got to give all the credit in the world to Marcus Smart. Uh, Yesterday he was one of the best players on the floor, if not the best. And I said this, Alino, I said this, what, three months ago, Marcus Smart is going to be your X Factor and he's been their X Factor. He's been absolutely incredible. Let's talk about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the, the, one of the deadliest wings in the league. The pairing that these two guys have and the chemistry that they have is absolutely out of this world. And of course, you have a coach in Brad Stevens who knows exactly what he's doing. Um, if anything, he can help coach Nick Nurse on any other night. If I'm the Raptors, I, I, I'm a little worried because I, I did say the Celtics would win this series from day one. Um. I've said all year that the Celtics are the Raptors kryptonite. And if they had to face a team, they didn't want to face the Celtics. So if the Raptors can be come back and beat the Celtics, I got them slated to go to the NBA finals. But if they lose, I got the Celtics slated to go to the NBA finals. And that that's no knack on the bucks or the heat. I just think that the Celtics and the Raptors, they have a little bit more depth and I think they're a little bit more consistent, but Man, if I'm the Raptors, you got to start not forcing as many threes. You got to be a little bit more aggressive in the paint. And yes, you know, last night the, the refs, I guess, were a little bit more in favor of the Celtics. We kind of saw it, especially late in the fourth where Marcus Smart is, you know, diving and, you know, getting all the calls his way. But some that's just how it goes, man. Sometimes officiating is is one-sided and you got to be a professional about it. You got to understand that that happens. So next game, I think the Raptors, they just got to bounce back. They got to stay in their zone. I think Kyle Lowry, just keep being that leader, that mentor that you continue to be for years on end with this franchise. And a lot of people, they give OG Ananobi a lot of, um, a lot of flack for his offense. But last night, he was one of our best players. He was shutting down Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker as much as he could. We all know Kemba Walker hit that clutch fadeaway late in the game, but... OG Ananobi, to me, was probably our best player last night. And uh, I'm sorry, with the with the depth that we have, he should not be our best player. Uh, he's a great player. He's got great upside. But if we want to win this series, Pascal Siakam has to be our best player, and he has to start being a little bit more confident with the ball. And, God, we got to start guarding Jason Tatum. And we got to give this man a lot more respect than he gets because <laughs> – No one talks about Jason Tatum enough. It's either they talk about him too much and they overrate him or they don't talk about him at all. And I think Jason Tatum so far has absolutely dissected the Raptors' defense perfectly. A lot of people are saying that the refs defend him. But, man, Jason Tatum's a hell of a talent. And I knew from day one that this would be a tough one. But, Alino, who do you think is winning this series? It's a tough one. I'm still
0: going to go Raptors in seven just on – history of last year like with the bucks what you said there and like going down O two, 2 I still think they have that you just need to get a rhythm if you can tie it up it's any game like anyone's game it's just yeah it's tough man fuck like you look at what Tatum's able to do with Kemba Walker but Kemba Walker hasn't been in this situation before when he's in Charlotte it was a one and done he was in looking at the first round and he's out in five if he's lucky so you yeah, got to take no
1: advantage. Of
0: the, yeah, you got to take advantage of the playoff experience. And I think Tatum hasn't had playoff experience uh, recently, where he's the guy. That one year when Kyrie Irving was out and Hayward was out, he stepped into it. But this is really his first year of being that one guy that everyone's looking at for offense and to lead them into the finals potentially. So take advantage of the experience you have on your team. You have veterans like Lowry, Gasol, uh, who have been there before. Uh, Norm Powell off the bench, Matt Thomas on the bench, Terrence Davis. you got to start utilizing the three-point options you have, and maybe you can turn this around. But uh, right now, I'll still go with the Raptors just on uh, veteran experience. Uh, But another interesting one with veteran experience is Miami and Milwaukee because you got Giannis, who's an MVP candidate, MVP winner, and you have Jimmy Butler with Iguodala now in the mix, this young group. Is this, like, a horrible
1: matchup for Milwaukee? I won't say it's horrible. I'll just say it's worrisome. Uh, You have Igudala coming in off the bench, who he's been there before. He's won a finals MVP, for goodness sake. Um, So that's a great addition to any team. Jimmy Butler, though, I, I mean, like, this guy dropped 40 points, and he still looked upset after the game. Like, he's having fun, but at the same time, he knows how to be serious and when to be serious. So Jimmy Butler, to me, is the perfect teammate. If Jimmy Butler can outshine Giannis in this series, which he already has in game one, then I have Miami winning this. But Milwaukee has that MVP player on their team, whereas you could say so much about Jimmy Butler, but he's not an MVP player. Um, so I still give the edge to the Bucks. I, I say Bucks in seven, but anything can happen here with with guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero shooting from, you know, the 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 ballpark they they just they just pull up from way out and they make those shots whereas you look at the bucks their three-point shooting maybe isn't as strong as the heat and at the end of the day I think the three-point shooting is huge in this day and age I mean Giannis doesn't have that three-point shot but he's a bully in the paint Chris Middleton hasn't really showed up yet and kind of like Paul George if Chris Middleton can maybe start gelling and start maybe averaging 24 in the postseason then I think this would maybe be a little bit more one-sided than we anticipate but he hasn't been doing that, and Jimmy Butler has been absolutely outstanding. Um, the only thing that I'm kind of worried about with Miami is Bam Adebayo. Uh, I think the matchup with Bam is it's unfortunate because I'm pretty sure they have Giannis on him, and even Brooke Lopez is a great defensive center, so I don't know if Bam's going to maybe generate a lot of offense in this series, but that's where you can maybe rely on a Tyler Hero, a Duncan Robinson, a Kendrick Nunn, and uh, and uh, Jimmy Butler to lead the way, but It's going to be a close one. I'm rooting for the Heat to win this, but I still got the Bucs taking this in seven games.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think the Bucs, it's going to be really close. I think maybe if you're looking at the last uh, couple games here in the second round, I think this series has uh, the most potential of having more overtime games than what people are used to. I think uh, a couple of them might go to overtime just of how evenly matched uh, some of their positions are. And then when Butler gets hot, Hero gets hot, and Robertson, I think that might push Milwaukee at some points. But, uh, yeah, I got seven games. I got Milwaukee winning it and uh, going on to another Eastern Conference final. I uh, guess we'll go on and uh, conclude with wrestling in the ring. We got a new universal champion. We got one ring ended in a week, uh, two pay-per-views in that Thunderdome, and Roman Reigns now is a heel. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns aligned together and him being the new champ?
1: Wow, am I ever excited! I mean, I'm kind of disappointed too at the same time with the Fiend and his short reign, but Roman Reigns, man, as a heel with Paul Heyman as the top dog and it and he's now the champion, that just screams excellence. I'm intrigued. I'm invested. Um, I think, I think Vince McMahon missed Roman Reigns, and I missed Roman Reigns. So, uh, I'm very excited to see this moving forward. This had to be done ever since he beat the Undertaker. Like this character. Ever since he beat The Undertaker, this should have been his character from, from day one. I mean, and uh, can you just imagine after he beat The Undertaker, the next night he comes out and he aligns himself with Paul Heyman? Like, can you, could you have imagined that three years ago? That would have been absolutely insane, but it's even better now because he took his hiatus, and then he comes back, and he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to come back, I'm going to have new teeth, a new look, I'm more, more jacked, and I'm just going to have a new manager and a new mouthpiece, and I'm just going to come out. What What's his shirt say? What is it? Beat people up and walk yeah. out or something? Wreck everyone know. and leave. Something like that. Or something like that. Yeah. Wreck people <laughs> and leave. Yeah. And he's the champ now, so I'm excited for that. And I think he's going to have a long title reign, as he should, because it's his yard. Oh,
0: yeah. This is his yard. And uh, I like how he kind of pissed everyone off there. Uh, like in the Thunderdome, you couldn't really tell at SummerSlam if he was uh, really a face or heel. But having Paul Heyman with him, now you know he's a heel. And I kind of like that. It's something new. Like, he's been the face for so many years now. Like, hit the refresh button a little bit. Try something new with your career. Don't get into the Cena mentality and that thing when you're, like, a face for 15 years and you get stale after 10. So, good on Roman Reigns for doing that. Uh, The only thing I think, like, with SmackDown, do you have The Fiend now challenge again and come up short? Like, who's going to challenge him now? Because I don't think The Fiend's character can
1: afford another, like, big loss like that. See, I was, I was talking about this with a co-worker of mine and I was really gelling out some names on SmackDown. And like Braun Strowman, the last couple of weeks, he's been teasing a heel turn as well. I mean, he, he buzzed his head and he's, he's been a lot more aggressive. That doesn't mean he's going to be a heel, but he's had some heel tendencies. I don't think I'd have Braun Strowman face Roman. I, I'm uh, Sorry, I, I think I would have Braun face Roman over The Fiend for now. I don't want the fiend to be face. I mean, I know he would go over as a face, and you know the the uh, what's it called the 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 reaction would be out of, out of this world. But I think he's fine how he is right now. Um, the fiend. I don't think he really needs to become a face or you know change his ways or anything. But a name that I've actually thrown out there, and you could laugh or you can think whatever you want, Alino. But I've thought of a guy maybe like an AJ Styles. I thought of a Sheamus. I thought of a Daniel Bryan. I've thought of I thought of even a Jeff Hardy, even though he has the Intercontinental title. Um, those are all names that I've kind of relatively thought of. you got to think of a, maybe a baby face that can maybe generate uh, a sort of reaction and, like, they feel bad for them. So think of, like, a guy like a Roman Reigns. He's the cocky champion. He's got Paul Heyman there. And just maybe for the f- first feud for Roman, maybe you can put a baby face in there where he can maybe get squashed and you feel bad for him. So I don't know if that maybe screams, maybe uh I don't I don't know, maybe like a, a Shinsuke, a Chad Gable. I, I really like an Otis. Like, do you have Otis maybe try and go for the universal title? Like, yeah, I really he's have do it no at some idea. Point.
0: <laughs> I, it like be. that's
1: the point. I really don't know who they're gonna put up against Roman Reigns. Um, it's gonna be fun. I wanna see AJ Styles as a face again. Um, I think him his work as a heel. He's done tremendous work, but I think now this is where they got to go in emergency mode and have maybe AJ Styles turn face just to face Roman Reigns. Cause who doesn't want to see AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns? I'd I'd love to see that. Um, but who do you think could maybe face Roman Reigns?
0: Yeah, when I like what you said about Jeff Hardy. That's a guy I was thinking of if he didn't have the title, which is why I think with Sami Zayn coming back and like saying he's a real intercontinental champion, I think it could lead to that. Maybe Sami Zayn takes a belt off him and you have Jeff Hardy go for it. I don't want to see Big E yet. I think that's something you can maybe do at a Royal Rumble uh, or even pass WrestleMania. I don't think they'll be at WrestleMania. I think they have other plans for Roman, uh, maybe either with The Rock or maybe they try that Goldberg match again. But I still think uh, Big E versus Roman could be a big main event that could help uh, lead to Big E's push as a singles competitor reach that next level. Uh, yeah, Jeff Hardy, I think that's a perfect name. Uh good baby face with the crowd. Uh, he has that story that you can have Roman and uh, Paul Heyman talk about and uh, leads to Roman just being hated more and more. I think that's what they're slowly building towards. Uh, they have Retribution now also on Raw. So, uh, I don't know. Could Roman be the leader of Retribution when this is all done?
1: That would uh, That would be absolutely fantastic. I think I still think it it would probably result in like Alistair Black leading it. I think that would be the better option because he's on RAW and he's a heel. I think that just makes more sense. You can maybe have Kevin Owens come out and maybe try and beat down this team, uh, the, like this faction, and then Alistair Black just comes out, maybe all in black, and just just you know shows that he's the guy that's behind it. I, I'm I'm all for Alistair Black's heel turn. I think he's he needs to. Uh, eventually maybe get into the main title picture i don't know if that's against drew mcintyre down the line like maybe they'll give him a one-off or something like that but it would also be funny if it was seth rollins leading it but i don't i don't think it is seth rollins i think he already has buddy murphy and his guys there so i don't see that but if it's roman reigns That is insane. That would be absolutely awesome. That would be a curveball. That would be something that I really would not anticipate. I mean, it kind of gives off Shield-type vibes. So it would kind of make sense. They're all in black, and they attack everyone, and that's kind of what the Shield did. So that would kind of be like a full circle thing, and that would make sense. But if Paul Heyman's with that, that would just throw everybody off. It's like, oh, my God. Like, you have – this faction you have Roman Reigns as the leader and the champ and then you have an advocate and you have a manager like Paul Heyman wow that would that would be absolutely amazing I, I would be all in for that I highly doubt that's the case but if it is wow that's awesome I guess we'll
0: close off with this one because speaking of a Heyman guy there's one who's a free agent attracting interest from every company possible Brock Lesnar and there's a big event on Saturday all out in AEW. Can you imagine the absolute shit show if this pay per view ends with Brock Lesnar coming out and officially signing with AEW?
1: I think I. You know how I just said I would be surprised if Roman was the leader. Add another notch to that, and that is me. If, if Brock Lesnar goes anywhere but WWE. I'll be shocked because he's been in WWE. He's gotten handed everything. He's probably been the best booked wrestler of all time. I mean, he ended the streak. He comes back time and time again, and he keeps getting the universal title and the WWE title, and he gets handed everything and the money. It's great. His relationship with Vince McMahon was always amazing. So if he goes to AEW, I really don't know what that means for Vince McMahon and and his well-being moving forward because he absolutely loves Brock Lesnar. Uh, just, I could, I, you know what? I could kind of picture him coming to AEW and F5-ing Jon Moxley and holding up the AEW title. I mean, I can only see him going to AEW just to add another different title to his resume because he has the UFC championship. He's had almost every accolade in WWE, and then man, now you go to AEW and you can win the AEW championship. I mean, why not? He's, what, 43, 44 now? Yeah. Uh, he, he could do that now in his career. So kudos to him. And uh, if he does go to AEW, I only wish Brock Lesnar the best. He's one of the best pro wrestlers and one of the best actors that I've seen in a long time. He does, he does his job beautifully well, whether it's a five-minute match, a two-minute squash match, a 10-minute match. Every match that he is involved in, we're all invested in. So I've, I've had to give Brock Lesnar credit to where credit is due. Ever since 2012 till now, I never thought his run would be this long in WWE. But maybe now it's finally time for something different for him. So if he goes to AEW, I'm all in for him. And he will go all out at all out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, okay, I'm looking at all these people saying he's going to go back to fighting in the UFC, but he's 43 years old. They have uh, USADA drug testing. And looking at Brock Lesnar, uh, I'm pretty sure he's clean. Yeah, okay. Uh, That's going to be something where he's going to – that's a hurdle. Uh, That's a lose-lose for him. And uh, in terms of AEW and Vince McMahon's well-being, like if you have Brock Lesnar and you're booking him like that, I'm not even putting him in a position where he can answer a phone and potentially make money because that's where his mind is going to be, making the most money possible. So I think this is bad on WWE's part. You should As soon as this contract had one day on it, you should have froze that thing solid. You should have said, all right, we have a negotiation period. Here's like a million dollars for a month. Uh, we're talking here. Don't go to AEW. Don't do anything like that. Now, you have AEW who, if they sign Brock Lesnar, now you just have a guy WWE booked like crazy, no fallback plan. That'd be a win win for AEW. And I think that would be something that gets their brand to the level of Raw and SmackDown instead of competing with the developmental and NXT.
1: Now, like, in terms of like, we've talked about like the negative factor with WWE if Lesnar left, but I think there's also a positive side to that. I think if Lesnar left, this is now where you go all in with Roman Reigns and you go all in with Drew McIntyre as like your pinnacle guys, the guys that you look you look at as those big dogs. Even maybe you can down the line, maybe you can uh, experiment with Braun Strowman again down the line at some point because we all know Braun Strowman. I think his better days are still around. I don't think uh, I don't think Vince McMahon has given up on him yet. So if Brock Lesnar were to potentially leave WWE. I think that's just that could also benefit the future of the company, and you could kind of relatively start going towards a more um, futuristic type move, set of moves like like Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. Like, yes, they've been in WWE for almost a decade, but they're still like 34 years old. Um, they're they're really young still, and they could still go another like eight years. So they're still the future. Drew McIntyre is another guy; he can go another six, seven years, maybe even longer. Now, like, I'm starting to, I'm starting to to realize that age really is not it doesn't really matter in wrestling cuz AJ Styles is 46 and he's still one of the greatest in the in the industry so even a guy like a Daniel Bryan where I relatively maybe thought that he was going to retire he he had one of the best heel runs in 2018 that I've ever seen changing the belt and you know having Kofi Kingston have his moment so in terms of all of this, where Brock Lesnar potentially leaves, I think it's it could also be very beneficial to the WWE product in that you could you know maybe start moving towards the future fan base. You know um, you could start acknowledging guys like Drew McIntyre a little more openly. You could start acknowledging maybe a guy like a Biggie Langston, a Keith Lee. These guys where maybe they didn't have the spotlight before where Brock Lesnar's around. So now maybe with Brock Lesnar out of the picture these guys can finally have that opportunity and the fans can finally start to realize, holy crap, we got a couple big bad monsters in this roster other than Brock Lesnar. So I think if Brock Lesnar leaves, they can start, you know, finally utilizing their talent to the best of their abilities.
0: Yeah, and I know we're fantasy booking here, so like, uh, I like that on WWE, but... If by slim chance Brock Lesnar is an AEW, how should they book him? Because this is going to be a topic that a lot of people, if he signs, they're going to say, okay, is he going to just dominate the roster and do the same old? Or will they throw a curveball and have him uh, like have competitive matches with Kenny Omega, have a competitive match with Chris Jericho, and like, actually show, oh, wow, he's dominating WWE guys because he's so much better than them. And AEW is having competitive matches because the competition is just better than WWE. Is that a route they should be going towards?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'd say um, the, the, when you're a different wrestling promotion, try and not do the same thing. Uh, try, and, try, and, try and be as different as you can. And I think if, if Brock Lesnar were to go to AEW, I think relatively, we, we just assume title scene right away. Um, I think I think that would be the case. You could also maybe see him butt heads with Brian Cage. I think that would be absolutely that. That could be a fantasy match for mm-hmm. a lot of people. But I think in the long run, I, I agree with what you just said. I think if if you want to go to maybe all out or or what's their biggest pay per view again? It's uh, yeah, all out. So sad. all out is their biggest pay per view. So yeah. if you so I, I would probably maybe build up Kenny Omega versus Brock Lesnar as like your marquee match doesn't have to be for the title. It could just be an interpromotional match. One-on-one, you can go for, like, 35. If Brock can go for 35 minutes, go for as long as you can. And that would probably be a match of the year. I would not doubt that at all. Kenny Omega is one of the greatest wrestlers. And as well, Kenny Omega has not had his time to shine yet in AEW. So I think that would also be perfect timing. Let's say Kenny Omega turns teal and beats John Moxley for the AEW title. And then you could oh you see a Brock Lesnar just waltz in as maybe a badass face. That would be absolutely incredible. You could have Kenny Omega as that dickhead heel. And then you could have Brock Lesnar come in as that badass baby face that everyone will be cheering for. So it's, it'd be a win-win for internet fans. You have the badass Brock Lesnar everyone will be cheering for. And you have the internet badass insane wrestler in Kenny Omega that also everyone will be cheering for. So in that in that frame of mind, it's a win-win for AEW, but I can't be speaking for AEW. So I hope if Brock Lesnar leaves and goes to AEW, hopefully they don't they don't screw it up. I hope they don't you know just make him run over everybody and you know do the same thing that they did with WWE because change is awesome, change is unique, and the wrestling industry definitely needs change in that regard because we've seen the same from Brock Lesnar for years now. So um, can you just imagine if you put on like a 25 minute classic with Kenny Omega out of nowhere, I feel like that would like, that would be newsworthy. That'd probably be one of the most standout things to happen in this year. So I think if Brock Lesnar leaving uh, WWE to go AEW would be absolutely fantastic for him. It's something new and hopefully AEW has something new and interesting to offer Brock Lesnar.
0: Yeah. And I think, Brock Lesnar, 100%, it would open a door with New Japan after because then it makes AEW more valuable. And speaking of inter-promotion matches, you can then have Okada versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, It opens the door for Kenny Omega versus uh, maybe Naito again, or they can have, like, some of these inter-promotional things. I think you need a guy like Brock Lesnar because Jericho only can do so much. Uh, Now that he's 50, like... He's not going to go all out with that. Like it's going to be harder for him to do something like even bridge the gap there. But you had Brock Lesnar is a little bit more younger, He's still athletic as all hell. You can add him to the mix. It makes your roster a little bit more valuable to new Japan. And you can have these big events together. Uh, and I'm just like, w- before we end here, just on the topic of free agents and pro wrestling, like, I was looking at some of the reaction, like, oh, no, don't sign Brock Lesnar. Uh, uh, you can put that money elsewhere. Uh, what do you think on that, like on free agency and pro wrestling? Should companies stay away from signing big names just because of who they are?
1: I think it depends on um, where, like what your status is as a company. I think if you're TNA, you need to sign the big guys. And I think if you're more like New Japan and AEW, maybe hold off on it. Maybe try and build up the future like Darby Allin, MJF, and guys like that. But uh, if, I'm, if I'm looking at free agency, I'm the first guy I'm looking at is Will Ospreay. That's the number one pick for me. I think he's the guy. He's, he's, I think he's already been on P, uh, PW Insider. I think he's already been a wrestler of the year. Uh, I think he's, what, 27 years old? Yeah, crazy. Um, if I'm WWE, I'm giving him a call. If I'm AEW, I'm giving him a call. Uh, I would actually, if I'm WWE, I'm going after Will, o- or sorry, if I'm AEW, I'm going after Will Ospreay over Brock Lesnar, but I think, well, at least in the long run, but I guess maybe for now, I'd all out now with all these news and all these rumblings, maybe you go after Brock Lesnar for maybe the short term, um, what's the word, like he will, he'll, he'll definitely make AEW relevant, like let's say like AEW isn't as, as relevant right now, or where fans aren't watching as much or generating as much you know, revenue, Brock Lesnar will definitely bring that, no doubt about it. If Brock Lesnar were to debut at All Out, the, the viewership would skyrocket for AEW in the coming months. So I think if I'm AEW, I'm absolutely going after – long term, I'm going after Will Ospreay over Brock Lesnar. But if I want revenue and I want viewership right now, it's easily Brock Lesnar. There's no one else that can bring more viewership than Brock Lesnar
0: yeah I agree with you there and uh We'll leave it at that for episode ninety five This was fun. We talked a little hacky. we talked hoop and we talked wrestling uh Chris. This was fun, so hopefully next week we'll get Pinello back in the mix here We're missing Piniello's takes here. We're missing Mikey's minute uh so we'll have to wait and see on that. get Pinello back, but uh that was episode ninety stick around look at past episodes. Uh, if you want to join in on the discussion, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at ITZ underscore podcast, and at ITZ podcast on
1: Facebook. I'm Carlo Alino. That's Chris Martelli, and we're signing off.